Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 210. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. This year-end projection stuff and regular activities on the part of the government officials is why I titled this episode Booger-Eating Morons in the Church and State. We most certainly have enough booger-eating morons on both sides. Let's talk about that this week. If you own a website that generates revenue for you, directly or indirectly, According to a recent Supreme Court ruling, you must be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA. If you're not compliant, the government can fine you $50,000. Slip and fall lawyers are scouring the internet for non-compliant websites to sue on behalf of disabled clients for tens of thousands of dollars. 
One disabled man has filed over 800 lawsuits against non-compliant site owners. There were over 10,000 suits filed in 2020, but that number grew to 100,000 in 2022. Once they file suit against you, the government will definitely fine you, and there's no way to win against the fines or suit. You simply have to settle. Getting your website ADA compliant is very expensive. The minimum I've seen charged for this service is $4,000, but I've seen as much as $15,000. Well, I've learned how to make websites ADA compliant. If you want your website ADA compliant and avoid lawsuits and fines, as well as help finance this apostolate at the same time, for you six-pack warriors, I'll only charge $1,000 for full compliance. The $4,000 minimum charged by other ADA compliance consultants will only keep you from being fined. It takes full compliance to keep you from being sued, but that costs from eleven dollars to $15,000. Again, I'll do full compliance for any six-pack warrior for only $1,000 or $100 a month. Just click the link in my show notes on cantankerouscatholic.com and we'll get your site ADA compliant. Get compliant or risk lawsuits and fines. Just a couple of quick reminders before getting into this week's topic. For starters, please get those questions for Bishop Strickland to me. You can ask him to comment on what makes you angry, ask him to help you start a movement that will help revitalize the church in America, ask him catechetical or apologetical questions, or questions about canon law or the criminal empire known as the USCCB. Ask him absolutely anything. You can even call him out for things you think he's doing or things you think he should be doing. Get those questions to me by shooting me an email at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com today. More importantly, remember to pray for the repose of Benedict XVI. While you're at it, please remember both Mrs. Sixpack and me in your prayers. Both of us have taken a downward turn in our health. We want to get into St. Agnes' assisted living facility in St. Louis run by Carmelite Sisters. The biggest problem is we don't have any money, so we need God's help, and that means we need your prayers. We just want to stay together. In this episode, when I talk about Biden and the Biden administration, I'm going to refer to them as Pretender Biden and the Biden regime. After all, we knew he was never elected and deserves to be called Pretender rather than President. And this administration deserves to be called a regime because that's what you call a group of tyrants in office. Oh, and that reminds me of a couple of things. This episode will be the final nail in the coffin for this show being broadcast on YouTube. They'll permanently ban my YouTube channel with this show. So if you listen to the Cantankerous Catholic on YouTube, you may want to switch to another platform. Also, if you listen to The Cantankerous Catholic on Spotify, please find another platform. I don't think I can remove The Cantankerous Catholic from Spotify until the show is canceled, or I'd move it immediately. Please don't listen to any show on Spotify, especially mine. I just recently learned that Communist Red China now owns Spotify. 
If China's track record is enough to go by, they've already begun collecting your personal information, and within 12 to 18 months, they'll begin censoring content unfavorable to them. Well, the cantankerous Catholic will always have things to say the Chinese government won't like. They'll eventually remove this show anyway. While I'm at it, cut ties with China-owned TikTok as well. Now let's talk about booger-eating morons and what they're doing. Let's start with politics. The booger-eating moron in Congress I call the bartender, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has stated that abortion is a sacrament. This demonstrates two things. First, that she's as dumb as a bag of hammers. Second, when you dig down a little deeper, she's simply pushing what demonic Democrats have been moving toward for decades, and that's to make the government the state religion. And every religion must have a form of sacrifice, and the Dems are making the murder of babies and old people theirs. This booger-eating moron got her economics degree at Boston University, and she shows in Congress every single day that she hasn't a clue about economics at all. Another booger-eating moron involves a member of the Biden regime, Rachel Levine. Does anyone know this man's real name? What is this thing? Biden plucked a completely unheard-of-before pervert out of the private sector and elevated it to a top government post just because of its proclivity to wear women's clothes. Hey, I've got news for you, Levine. If you were born with a penis, you're a man. When I was still able to go to the grocery store and shop from one of those electric carts, I was waiting in front of the store one day for my wife to come pick me up. But then a rather obese man came out in front of the store to wait for his ride, but the booger-eating pervert was dressed in a pink tutu. I started to humiliate him and maybe go ahead and pick a fight with him, but there were cops standing around and I wasn't sure if I'd go to jail. I don't have a problem with going to jail, but I needed to record that week's episode and felt that being with you on the show would accomplish more than humiliating a man enough to get him to wear men's clothes. I had a guy make a food delivery last night. The name on DoorDash was that my delivery would be made by a woman named Gabriella. When I saw the guy coming up my ramp, I said, Funny, you don't look like a Gabriella. The guys are usually amused by this, telling me they're making the delivery for their wife, girlfriend, or mother. This guy wasn't amused. As he got closer, the makeup he was wearing showed that he was indeed a Gabriella. I could tell he was about to give me a piece of his mind until he saw the menacing look under my U.S. Army veteran hat. I suppose some of them still have the good sense to fear a veteran. You don't hear commercials about it, or at least I haven't, but do you know what pretender Biden's big incentive to join the military is? Any pervert can join the military and get a sex change operation. Yeah, a sex change operation. I'm so disgusted with what the military's become that I watched Patton with George C. Scott twice during December just to remember what my army was like. And Pretender Biden has become an absolute dictator with all of the executive orders he signed. He's opened the door for vets, female I presume, to get abortions at VA hospitals. And he's taken away resources from us. You know, we warriors who volunteered to put our lives on the line to defend you. And given those resources to illegal aliens. Now answer me honestly. 
Do you really think the nation can be defended by a bunch of transgenders and other assorted perverts? After all, we were trained to hurt people and break things. What are they going to do? Smear them with lipstick and throw mascara at them? Good way to defend the American people, I suppose. Another real booger-eating moronic way pretender Biden is coming after you is to hire 75,000 new IRS agents who will have the power to use deadly force. They're coming after everyone for more taxes, but most especially people they identify as conservative. Since virtually everything is online now, and if you even own an email, you're online, they're coming to get you. And if you own a website, regardless of what it is, you're a prime target for $50,000 fines and multi-million dollar lawsuits. To make things even worse, the Biden regime is introducing digital money this year. You'll be forced to account for every penny you spend, even on a hamburger, paying taxes on it if necessary. Now let's look at the booger-eating morons in the church. Let's start with Father Frank Pavone. I haven't had enough time to research Father's case yet, but I've seen enough to know that there may very well have been a reason to laicize him. That's irrelevant, though. As long as James Martin and Bishop John Stowe of Lexington, Kentucky are allowed to publicly promote homosexuality, one of the most serious sins against God, it's unjust to defrock Father Pavone. In Chicago, there's Cardinal Blaise Supich. He's cleared a predatory priest six times for alleged allegations against women, yet he removed the former pastor of St. John Cancius Church for absolutely nothing except insisting as superior of the canons there they must celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. Why? And what about Bishop Callahan of La Crosse? He suspended Father James Altman from the active priesthood for saying truthfully that you can't be a Democrat and a Catholic, yet when Father Jeffrey Burrell was caught with an app on his phone called Grinder, which proved he'd had literally thousands of homosexual trysts with strange men, he was merely sent away for a few months of reflection and then assigned a new parish as pastor. Bishop Callahan is a coward and a snake. The message he sent to his flock is that it's okay to be a homosexual priest, but you can't embarrass or disagree with the bishop's masters at the DNC. And let's not forget that criminal empire known as the USCCB. These criminals have been using Catholic charities and Catholic Campaign for Human Development to promote abortion and contraceptives. Oh, and they've been taking illegal immigrants by the busload and setting them up as legal citizens across the country, contrary to U.S. law. Most of the bishops across the country and all of the USCCB as a body have been promoting the illegal alien thing that the Catholic Campaign for Human Development has been doing. A few have seen the Chuck Schumer doctrine as a remedy for our low birth rate, that is, to accept illegals as an answer to the low birth rate. With the exception of Bishop Strickland, all of the so-called good bishops continue to show that they're cowards. Someone said to me that Archbishop Corleone in San Francisco is courageous because he applied Canon 915 to Nancy Pelosi. Sure he did, but it only took him ten years to do it. Some great courage, huh? <laughs> Boy, I hope 2023 is better than last year. 
Discover why thousands of readers worldwide turn to the Wanderer newspaper for weekly perspective and analysis of the news and events that increasingly threaten our values and our way of life. Hello, my name is Joe Matt, publisher of America's oldest national Catholic weekly newspaper, The Wanderer. If you take your Catholic faith seriously and you are concerned about the direction of our country, the ever-encroaching hand of big government, the assault of the culture on the traditional family, and the threat of progressive leaders in our churches who embrace much of the current leftist culture rather than opposing it, you will find a home in the pages of The Wanderer. If you are tired of being force-fed the agenda-driven false narratives of the day by the godless dominant media and the political elite who preside within our government, our schools, and yes, in our Catholic churches, it is time for you to take a look at The Wanderer. Every week The Wanderer addresses these concerns, exposing the who, what, and the why with sound analysis and solutions to these problems that threaten the values we hold dear. Not only is The Wanderer a great source for the issues that affect our lives, but it is also a great tool to learn more about the treasures of our Catholic faith and how to defend it in this time of great moral decay. I'm so confident you will like The Wanderer. For you six-packers out there, I have a special offer. For one dollar, that's one dollar, we are offering new subscribers the opportunity to receive one month's worth of issues. That's four weekly issues. Take The Wanderer for a test drive. After one month, it is nine dollars a month. You can cancel anytime you want. I hope you will take advantage of this limited offer today. Text the word NEWS to 830-331-5729 and I will send you a link to this offer or look for the link in Joe's show notes below. The Wanderer. For 154 years, unabashedly pro-life, independent, and conservative in its politics, and steadfast in its defense of Orthodox Catholicism. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. And incidentally, I don't know if any of you know the story about how this segment was named the Sacred Heart Wins, but His Excellency and I were thinking of, uh, you know, what can we call this segment? What title? And while we're thinking this, it was at that time that the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And that was done on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Well, I think it was the next day. I either, I can't remember. I either read something, uh, that Bishop Strickland had said, or I heard him in an interview. Uh, and in reference to this, he said, the Sacred Heart wins. And I thought, Gosh, that would be a perfect title for this segment. So we've got him here again. Bishop, the Sacred Heart wins. How are you today? Good, Joe. And the Sacred Heart wins, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay, Uh, let's jump in. Robert asks, with a lot of other faithful and devout Catholics that I know, I am perplexed at the Pope's recent pronouncement making capital punishment inadmissible with no exceptions. 
How can a pope make a prudential judgment like this after 2,000 years of church teaching that it is permissible? And can it ever be reversed by a future pope? And can I still receive communion while disagreeing with the pope? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I've, on the, the last part, I would say yes. Um, this, it, it really, and even just the terminology, inadmissible, you know, is a word, it's an interesting word for the catechism. Um, and I know there's still a lot of, of questions. Certainly, we know that the church is about the sanctity of life from conception to natural death. Um, so that covers every life. Sir, the question really, it, it gets into to fairly technical um, issues of, of self-defense. The church believes in self-defense as well. And that's, I'm no expert in, you know, rationales for the death penalty at all, but it's basically the idea that society has the right and obligation to defend society, to defend individuals or a group from, from anyone that's bringing harm. Um, so even though the, the, uh, the catechism was changed by Pope Francis, I don't think inadmissible is, is, you know, fuzzy enough that I think there's still some room for interpretation and further development of, of understanding. Um, and, you know, certainly a future Pope may clarify that further. I mean, Pope John Paul II did alter the, that question in the catechism and didn't totally close the door, but, but narrowed it. Um, and it, it's just a difficult question because in our very, imperfect world, the sort of pristine theological approach to those questions, it's hard to find that pristine situation where you can really make a judgment one way or the other. So um, I know I'm not totally answering the question, but <laughs> I don't think we have a total answer. Um, for me, the, we do as Catholics and as the people of God. From, you know, the, the whole question of aborting a child in the womb, there is no debate there. That is definitively answered. The question of a person who has at times done atrocious things, certainly we pray for God's mercy for anyone and everyone. Um, the, uh, the appropriate punishment, I personally, I think because of all the corruption and injustice and the way that money talks in our society, I think we're just so imperfect as in, in any system in the United States or around the world. I don't think we have uh, a justice system that can carry the, the gravity of being able to say we have justly taken the life of this person. But Amen. it's it's a very murky, difficult question. I think we need to, kind of like you answered another question, Joe, in another week, we have to be careful not to be caught up in emotion and use our intellects to know to know what we know is true and to hang on to that. There are 
there are questions that we're not as clear on as far as where does the, is there a point where the right to life is forfeited by the atrocious acts of an individual? I don't think we have philosophical or theological answers to that. So we go back to what we do know, that life is sacred, every life, and that justice needs to be served. But how that all works in an individual situation, and I think that what the catechism, it it does accurately illustrate that it's a question with a lot of ambiguity and a lot of unanswered issues that we just have to still work toward understanding better. Thank you, Excellency. <laughs> I'd like to add some catechesis to this. In his Summa, Aquinas said that, yeah, you can forfeit your own life. You can forfeit your own right to life. Personally, I don't believe in capital punishment except for heinous acts of homicide and treason. The reason for treason is because a treasonous risks every life of every American, period. And, and that is, it's usually done for money. And that is certainly, uh, <laughs> that is certainly something where you'd forfeit your own life. But look, the church has taught, as you pointed out, for 2000 years that capital punishment is acceptable. It is something that can be used. And what John Paul did was a legitimate development of doctrine. However, Francis cannot come along and say capital punishment is inadmissible with no exceptions without, well, it would have to be done in a bula where he is binding the consciences of the faithful that it's it's something that has been declared a dogma. And he made an end run around that by changing the catechism rather than in, uh, issuing a papal document to that effect. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Pope Francis has made a mistake here, and he can't change what the church has taught for 2,000 years, no matter what it is she's taught. So that's, I'm sorry, that's my catechetical uh, input there. Uh, any comment on that, Excellency, besides being telling me I'm an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just leave that one alone. Okay. Uh, Deb asks, what are specific examples of ways to root out the vice of pride in oneself? Very good question. Well, and I, I that is a good question because I think it's pretty powerful in our time. There's an awful lot of pride and arrogance, and we all need to humbly acknowledge that. We, we live in a prideful time and an arrogant time when, when so many, even believing people, but certainly non-believers, but all of humanity acts as if we're in charge of everything. And uh, I think the best remedy for that that I find is to look to Christ himself. I mean, Amen. here's the Lord of the universe. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Jesus Christ, King of the universe. The King of the universe becomes a, a newly conceived child in the womb of a woman, just like all of us. I mean, talk about humility. The whole incarnation of Jesus Christ 
is an, a lesson in humility that um, I think we just really, that's how we fight our pride is look to the humility of the Lord of all. Amen. And, you know, Deb, except on your deathbed, perhaps, going through your final passion, you're never going to completely root out pride. If you were able to root out pride, you never have a need to go to confession because pride is always the main problem with any sin. It's always the basis for any sin. So, you know, continue to work on it. Do as uh, Bishop Strickland said. But don't get yourself all worked up thinking that you're not making any progress when you're unable to completely rid yourself of pride. It's not going to happen until probably the final moments of your life. Okay? But Deb also asks, uh, and I like the intention behind this question, what is the surest, fastest way to become a saint? Overcome your pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know Jesus commanded us in uh Matthew 5:48 uh you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Think about that. That is a pretty profound statement. He's telling you you have to be perfect. How perfect? As perfect as the father. How perfect is the father? Infinitely perfect. Can you on your own do that? No, you cannot. It requires the grace of Jesus Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit. The only thing I would say to Deb in addition to this is that you're asking for the surest, fastest way to become a saint. There is no surest way. There is, well, yeah, get rid of pride, but like I said, that happens usually at death. And there is no fast way to become a saint. I had, I, when I was a catechumen, I began begging God to make me a saint. That was 35 years ago. Uh, I don't know anyone who would call me a saint. I've been working on it for 35 years. There is no fast way to, there is no fast track, no silver bullet. It just requires daily hard work and take taking Christ's example uh, on his way to uh, the cross. He fell three times. Every time he fell, he did what? He got right back up and started going again. And that represents if you sin, get right back up, go to confession, get right back up, and go moving forward again toward the cross as he did. That's our obligation. Would you agree with that, Excellency? Yep, I, I totally agree. As I get closer to uh, to home, to the grave, and I'm a lot closer to it than I am the cradle, I think about this every single day, most of the day. And I fail. You know, God uh, allows all these tribulations in my life uh, which is purifying me for heaven, but I fail frequently. I forget to say thank you. I forget to uh, to offer it back to him, uh, which is why I do a morning offering. And uh, please, folks, all of you, all of us, we're 
Bishop Strickland will be the first to tell you that we're all obligated to become saints, and he tries and fails every day just like we try and fail every day. But we get back up and we move forward. Agreed? Absolutely. I would just quote um, Mother Teresa, God calls us to faithfulness, not success. And I think we just have to remain faithful until the end and trust that that doing our best to be faithful is the best path to sanctity. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Excellency, we have wrapped up another week. Uh, boy, these are going, uh, this one's going fast. Uh, so I guess we'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Okay. God bless you. I frequently tell you that Catholics must be doing something in this era when the church is in such great need. Now I'm telling you about something specific you can do. I've never asked God to bless the work I'm doing, but rather asked Him to let me do the work He's blessing. If you're inclined to do something for the church that's media-based, I recommend podcasting. Yes, you can launch your own show like this. Podcasting reaches the demographic we need to reach, the 18 to 34 age group. If you're like I was, you know nothing about podcasting. I took a course called Podcaster's Paradise, taught by one of the most successful podcasters in the industry, John Lee Dumas. After only three and a half years, I've gone from 40 listeners to over 80,000 listeners. John made me an expert in podcasting, so I recommend Podcaster's Paradise for you, too. Then you can begin doing something important for God. Just click on the Podcaster's Paradise link in my show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. I want to tell you about a man who truly epitomized the holy priesthood. It's been six years since his untimely and early death, the death of my friend, Father Timothy Bannis. Most everybody rightly called him Father Bannis, but he was Father Tim to me. The things I say here could have been rightly said during his life, but now must be said now that he's gone. Father Tim graced this earth only 52 years. Well, you may as well add another year to that because he died three days shy of his 53rd birthday. And he was at our parish for only three years. Father was the picture of health, but his death demonstrates to us that when God wants us, we're going. No delays, no bargaining, no early warning signals. Father Tim loved his parishioners as every good parish priest does. I can attest to the genuineness of his love because he loved me, despite that I'm not all that lovable. Father was a late vocation, meaning he was in his 40s when he was ordained by Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, then Archbishop Burke of the Diocese of St. Louis. 
so he was only a priest for about a decade. Joe Sixpack only exists because of Father Tim. He had some parishioners who wanted to gain a deeper understanding of our holy and ancient faith, but like most parish priests today, he simply didn't have time to sew another thing such as a class into his schedule. Besides the parishioners who wanted to learn more, Father recognized the need for all Catholics to gain a deeper knowledge of the teachings of the Church due to the faulty, deficient, and watered-down catechesis of the 70s and much of the 80s. So Joe Sixpack was born as a way of feeding all parishioners who read the parish bulletin with what became my bulletin insert program without trying to sell them on the need for attending a class and meeting the subsequent resistance. This is evidence of his great love for us all. But there was much more to this priest of the living God than just his love for his parishioners. A truly dedicated priest realizes he has two primary responsibilities specific to his vocation, to become holy and provide the sacraments to his flock. And no one could deny that Father perfectly fulfilled those responsibilities. We all like to say that a parish priest or parent was a saint after they're gone, but I think saying that about Father Tim is more than a mere platitude. When a penitent goes to the same priest with regularity and frequency, the priest learns the penitent's soul, but that works the other way, too. Long before we talked about personal sanctity, it was apparent to me that Father Tim obviously wanted to become holy. That's a topic we eventually addressed, and he told me the thing he wanted most, the most important thing to him, was to become a saint. As I've said in these boot camps before, personal sanctity is every Catholic's responsibility, and Father Tim took Jesus at his word on that. Father Tim was fiercely loyal to the church and her teachings, which is another mark of a good priest, indeed any good Catholic. But his personal holiness manifested itself in more pronounced ways. For example, to those who recognize such things, we could see that Father would occasionally lapse into ecstasy while elevating the host at Mass. It was apparent from looking at his face that while his feet were firmly planted on earth at the high altar, his soul was soaring to heaven in adoration of his majesty in the Most Holy Eucharist, Father Tim's prophet, priest, king, savior, and only true love. Father understood and was deeply devoted to the reality of the true presence of Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist. You can tell how well a priest understands the nature of the priesthood and his devotion to it by the way he celebrates Mass. Of all the hundreds of priests I've seen say Mass, none of them were more devout and respectful than Father Tim. Father said the liturgy in perfect conformity to the rubrics, and he did so with great love and devotion. I knew the first time I met Father in the confessional that he was a great priest. He had a deep devotion to the curé of ours, St. John Vianney, the patron saint of parish priests. So great was his devotion that he kept a statue and holy cards of the curé in the confessional so that he could ask the saint for strength, wisdom, and courage while he waited for a penitent to come in to unburden the soul of sin. Father Tim also had a deep and abiding love for his girlfriend, the Blessed Virgin Mary. He loved her and believed in the efficacy of her intercession. That was evidenced by his love for and daily recitation of the rosary. Father also understood the need of divine mercy for his soul. 
His favorite devotion was St. Faustina's devotion given to the world by our Lord himself, the Divine Mercy Chaplain. Indeed, I can't speak for anyone else, but Father Tim gave me the chaplain to pray as my penance after confession more than anything else. Father Tim was a humble man. You never heard him talk about himself or his accomplishments. However, he did project great pride when speaking of his parishioners and the children of our parish school. He loved us all so much. After my stroke, I could no longer go to confession at church because my wheelchair wouldn't fit into the confessional. So Father Tim would come to my home almost every week to hear my confession. Since he was also my spiritual director, Father and I often spent hours talking about spiritual matters, he in my favorite recliner and me in my wheelchair. Almost every time I look at that recliner now, my eyes tear up and I miss him terribly. Come to think of it, if Father Tim died a saint, I own a really big third-class relic. Father would be embarrassed by me saying that, but he'd have a laugh about it nonetheless. And the question of his sainthood, although not officially recognized by the church, requires an additional reflection. Yes, everyone who knew Father Timothy Bannis believes he was a saint on earth. Consequently, we tend to believe he bypassed purgatory altogether. But Father Tim would be the first to tell you not to make such a foolish assumption. He'd ask us to remember to pray for the repose of his soul. Indeed, he did ask me to do that one day when we talked about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. He also told me to pray to him because he'd be able to more powerfully aid us from heaven. That's the greatest act of love we can offer the priest who loved us so much. So I both pray for him and to him every day. Give him eternal rest, O Lord. May your light shine upon him forever. May Father Tim's soul and all the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Father Tim, pray for us. Some people have asked me if their nonprofit websites have to be ADA compliant. If it generates revenue in any way, the answer is yes. I certainly can't afford to be fined by Uncle Sam or sued by slip-and-fall lawyers. It would crush this apostolate, so I've made the Cantankerous Catholic website fully ADA compliant. ADA website consultants charge $4,000 for minimum compliance, which keeps the government from fining you. They charge eleven dollars to $15,000 for full compliance, which is the only way to avoid lawsuits. I've learned how to make websites compliant. I'll make Six Pack Warriors websites fully compliant for only $1,000 or $100 a month, which will save you $10,000 to $14,000 now and protect you from crippling lawsuits that you can't possibly win later. Not sure if your site is fully compliant? Click on the link in my show notes at cantankerouscatholic.com to reach out to me. Include your site's URL, and I'll check it out and send you a full report with what I find. Protect yourself from financial ruin and support this apostolate at the same time. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. 
This week's Catholic quote is from Pope Leo XIII. He said, Our own belief is that the renovation of the world will be brought about only by the Holy Eucharist. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A bishop named Simonus was in Jerusalem one day when some Muslims decided to make a fool of him publicly by asking questions about the Eucharist that they thought couldn't be answered. How is it possible for bread and wine to become the body and blood of Christ? One of them asked. The bishop answered, You've grown since you were a child and have more flesh and blood than you had then. If your body can change food and drink into flesh and blood, then surely God can do it too. But how is it possible for Christ to be present in a small host? asked another. The bishop glanced at the sky, then at the great city of Jerusalem in front of him, and then he replied, The landscape with the heavens above, it is something very large, while your eye is very small, yet your tiny eye contains in itself the whole picture. Why should it be impossible for Christ to be truly present entirely in a little piece of bread? Once more, the first Muslim spoke up. How, then, is it possible for the same body of Christ to be present in all your churches at the same time? The bishop answered, In a large mirror, your image is reflected once. When you break the mirror into hundreds of pieces, you see yourself in each of the fragments, don't you? Then why should it be impossible for the body of Christ to be present in many places at once? To God, nothing is impossible. The Catholic Church teaches that at Mass, after the priest says the words consecration, Jesus becomes present under the appearances of bread and wine. He's present entirely with body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's present in all our churches, everywhere Mass is being offered at the same time. This is possible for God alone. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.